Kimberly Cockrum. I'm from San Diego, California, and I'm going to be talking about thyroid eye disease uh, from graves to gaze. Thyroid eye disease is a volumetric expansion of the extraocular muscles and the intraconal fat as demonstrated in this diagram. You can see that the patient's muscles have gotten larger, the intraconal fat, so the fat behind the eye has expanded, and that results in the eye becoming bulging. We call that proptosis or exophthalmus. As you can imagine, when you expand the muscles like that, you can result in double vision. The double vision can be an up gaze, side gaze, only in the morning when you first wake up, or it can be constant. Uh, and that can be very symptomatic and difficult to drive to function on a computer. Blurring of the vision is very common. Typically, it's because the tears are unstable. Less commonly, it's that the cornea is breaking down or that the optic nerve is being compromised, but blurred vision is very typical. Corneal compromise can happen because the patient's eyes don't close completely, either during the day, at night, or both. And then finally, compressive optic neuropathy can happen because the fat is expanded, the muscles have expanded, and now the poor optic nerve at the apex is being compressed. The annual incidence and leading risk factors for thyroid eye disease include being a woman. So 16 out of 100,000 women and 3 out of 100,000 men are impacted with thyroid eye disease. There's two peaks of incidence, between 40 and 50, and again, between 60 and 70, but it can really happen at any age, including children or the very elderly. Smoking increases the risk by eightfold. Smoking increases the risk of all autoimmune diseases, but impacts this in particular. When you do smoke, you're less likely to respond to therapy, whether that be steroids, radiation, surgery. So and being an ever smoker matters, but quitting once you are identified as thyroid eye disease is super important. The risk of new onset or worsening of thyroid eye disease is also impacted if patients have radioactive iodine treatment, especially if they get that treatment without pre-treatment steroids and following with steroids. Women are at higher risk, so ninefold, but men often have an elevated risk for more severe thyroid eye disease. So worse proptosis, more likely optic neuropathy, that sort of thing. The odds of thyroid eye disease increase approximately 17% with each decade of age. So we do have a lot of patients who are in their 70s, 80s, and even 90s. Diabetes can increase the risk of thyroid eye disease, and it often results in more severe disease since the patients already have an impact to their, their neural system. So that would include the cranial nerves and the optic nerve. The burden of thyroid eye disease is extensive. It can be sight-threatening, debilitating, and disfiguring. And it's happening in patients who are in their work time. So they're employed, they're gainfully taking part in their family activities, and suddenly they can't be themselves. They can't read, they can't work on the computer, they may not be able to drive, they often lose their jobs, and not, not infrequently it impacts their partnerships and results in divorce and other really impactful things. The inflammation can improve with time, so the redness, the swelling, the pain can improve with time, but time can be really long. We used to say 18 months, but in some patients it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, they're still in this relative active phase and it's impacting their life. Many patients have permanent disfigurement, functional visual loss, but the psychosocial alterations and the significant socioeconomic impact are the most important. This disease changes lives and not in a good way. The impact on quality of life is well known and it is as severe as many other 
abnormalities that we think of as you know causing really severe disease, such as patients with multiple sclerosis or other, other diseases. So this has a huge impact. And even after the patients go into the chronic phase, the impact on their life is still impactful. So they're having tearing, irritation, blurring, double vision, aching, a chronic ache, and just feel badly about themselves because their face doesn't look like themselves anymore. They look much more like other thyroid patients rather than how they looked before this started. The thyroid status in TED is important. 85% of patients have Graves' disease, but patients can have other things. They can either be euthyroid or have forms of hypothyroidism. 45% of the patients present with imbalance first, so they might have their Graves' disease present first. But many, so around 40%, have both the eye findings and the systemic findings happen at the same time. And then the ones that come to me or other oculoplastic specialists or neuro-ophthalmologists are often the patients where they're totally normal from a thyroid standpoint and they have eye symptoms that are suggestive of thyroid eye disease. So they come to us to have that diagnosis made. So what's the orbital anatomy that's impacted? Well, pretty much everything. So the eyelids have retractors that are infiltrated with the inflammatory process and then become fibrotic. And that's why the eyelids don't close correctly. They, even the blink is altered. The extraocular muscles, as we, as we described, become expanded. And as an expansion of the extraocular muscles, then the eye comes out, so it's bulging, and now the cornea doesn't have a tear film that's as normal, and, it, and so they start having corneal breakdown, more blurred vision. The conjunctiva, which is the superficial tissue that overlies the white of the eye, can become red. The caruncle, which is a portion of that conjunctiva more medially, can become red and swollen. The orbital fat expands, and all of these things work together to potentially impact the function of the optic nerve. This is the look of thyroid eye disease. The key from this slide is to take home, everybody looks different. So they all look more like each other than they did like themselves before this happened. But you can see there's varying degrees of eyelid retraction, different amounts of puffiness of the upper or lower eyelids, different amounts of redness. And even in some patients, you can see that ptosis can be present rather than eyelid retraction. So wide variety of presentations. So it can present with tearing, foreign body sensation, photophobia, contact lens intolerance, double vision. And I want to spe you know, specifically state the double vision, the way you ask the question is when you first wake up and you look at your iPhone or whatever phone you're using and you're trying to read your news feed or whatever, are you seeing double? Or if not double, are you seeing a, like a blur image? And does this happen when you first wake up and then it improves? That's a super important clue that the patient may have double, double vision due to thyroid eye disease. They also have an ache. If you ask them if they have pain, they most of the time will say no. But if you say, do you feel like you can feel your eyes more than you usually do? Like there's a vague difference. Uh, one patient said it to me, they were like, you know what it feels like is when you you're gonna have a cold or a flu and your eyes just feel different. They're kind of achy and watery. That's how thyroid eye disease feels. What are the key questions? So we talked about double vision. Do you have double vision when you first wake up? That when you look at your cell phone or your newspaper or whatever, do you see a blur image or double vision? Next question is, is the eye redness over the rectus muscles? So not necessarily in the interpalpebral fissure, the area that you see, but rather when you look at the muscles, which are about five millimeters distal to the iris, are you seeing there's more redness there than redness in the area between the eyelids? Do you have high pressure in the eye? And does that high pressure go up when the patient looks up or right or left? 
So it could be the patient has a, a pressure of 24. They look up, it goes to 30. That would be significant and suggestive of thyroid eye disease. And then finally, dry eye symptoms are one of the most common reasons that patients report to either an IMD or an IOD. And so they come in with tearing, redness, irritation, grittiness. So, but if they have all those symptoms and then you do a Schirmer's test, it's normal. You look at the tear lake, it's normal. You really need to think that this could be very subtle early thyroiditis disease. So let's talk about a patient. So this is an 80-year-old male who presents with esotropia. Esotropia means that the eyes are pointing in. And you can see that the right eye is not as bulgy as the left eye. The patient's complaining of double vision and intermittent double vision. So he's had his symptoms for quite a while. Uh, he had initially was diagnosed with Graves' disease. Then he had a recurrence. Then he underwent surgery. And this, this was just before the pandemic hit. And then he presented with worsening, bulging of both eyes, redness, pain, double vision. So elective surgery, again, was not an option. This was right in the early phases of the pandemic. And the patient was referred for potential tepertubumab therapeutics. So on exam, he had a clinical activity score of seven. Again, you get points for pain, redness of the eyelid or conjunctiva or the caruncle, swelling of the eyelids, swelling of the conjunctiva called chemosis. His chief concerns, double vision was his key, key concern, but he also had tearing, irritation, pain that worsened on upgaze, and then the redness and swelling you can see. He had diminished vision, 20-25 in the right, 20-40 in the left, no afferent pupillary defects, so nothing to suggest optic neuropathy per se, and then he had the eyes that are turning in called esotropia. He had bilateral pretibial myxedema, which is uh, for those who are more in the eye sector, that's where the shin or the skin overlying the front of the the leg becomes irritated, kind of similar to what goes on with the eyes in the sense it's red, irritated, swollen. So he had a Gorman score of three because he had constant diplopia. Uh, the Gorman score is something that's used in endocrinology more than ophthalmology, and you either have a score of zero for no diplopia, one for transient diplopia when you wake up, two when you look right or left. Um, it was interesting in this patient is his, his appearance appearance and his appreciation of the double vision were slightly different. He had obviously a double vision that he should have had all the time, but he didn't. He was able to suppress it, so sometimes he didn't appreciate it. So we did an independent planned workup, independent of the therapeutic process or plan. I always do the same thing. I'm looking for evidence of optic neuropathy by doing color plates, red desaturation, visual field testing, OCT of the optic nerve. I'm going to do labs to include a TSI, which is super helpful. It's going to let me know if the thyroid tissue is attacking the eye tissues. And then I always get imaging, either a CT scan or an MRI of the orbits to confirm that I have thyroid eye disease, not lymphoma or CC fistula or something else going on. Let's go through a couple other cases. So this is a patient that received five infusions of tepertubumab. You can see a dramatic improvement in the position of the eye, the redness of the eye, and you can appreciate that the medial rectus, the muscle closest to the nasal cavity, has diminished in size. And so the patient's doing much better with improved fat volume, muscle volume, and appearance and comfort of the eyes. Here's another gentleman. He, he was misunderstood because he didn't have eyelid retraction. He had more eyelid ptosis or drooping, and, but he had a severe expansion of his intraconal fat, so the fat behind the eyeball, less so the expansion of the muscles, and he also had improvement. 
in terms of his comfort, the pain, the pain with eye movement went away. Here's an example of a patient who had the tepertubumab. And you can see again, with each infusion, the patient's facial structures soften. So it's not only that the bulging went away, but also the facial features. So she's looking more like herself, feeling more comfortable. Um, and so she's thrilled because she's comfortable, her visual functions improved, and she's back to looking like herself. Here's an example of a CT scan, just again showing the diminished muscle size after tepertubumab. And finally, back to our gentleman. He's now had his tepertubumab, had a marked improvement in his proptosis, comfort, motility, and improvement of his face led to improved vision, and then just a quality of life. So in summary, thyroid disease is very common. Thyroid eye disease is a bit less common, but should be considered in all patients with ocular symptoms of dry eye symptoms, ocular hypertension, double vision, or changes in their appearance, especially proptosis. We need to exclude thyroid disease in all young patients pursuing blepharoplasty. So patients with thyroid eye disease have expansion of their fat, and so uh, onset is very much more common in patients who have thyroid eye disease in their 30s, 40s, where they have bulging of their lower eyelids, fat deposition in their upper eyelids. So you always want to think about thyroid eye disease in a patient pursuing young blepharoplasty. You want to look for signs of thyroid eye disease in all patients. When you're in your exam and you're thinking more along the lines of you know, a cataract evaluation or maybe a glaucoma follow-up, you do want to look at the conjunctiva, look to see whether the injection is more over the rectide muscles, so five millimeters dis distal to the limbus. You want to look and see whether they have any dysmotility. But the most important thing is you want to ask patients for symptoms of thyroid eye disease. So conjunctival irritation, dry eye symptoms, double vision that's worse than the morning, and then just changes in their appearance. Do their eyes look different to them and their family? Of most importance, you want to be aware of facial rejuvenation or other facial or, or ocular surgery in patients with thyroid eye disease in the active phase of disease. And that testing for TSI, that's thyroid stimulating immunoglobulin, is super helpful at letting you know that you've got a patient who has an elevated inflammatory uh, likelihood of having problems. So, for instance, patients who undergo cataract surgery, who then have persistent conjunctival injection or chemosis, should be evaluated for thyroid eye disease and should look for an elevated TSI. Tepertubumab reduces inflammation and reduces the size and volume of extraocular muscles and fat in a way that no other therapeutics do. Surgery doesn't. Surgery changes, we remove bone, we can move a little bit of fat, but there's nothing else that makes the extraocular muscles return to the more normal structure. The results are pretty rapid and dramatic, oftentimes being seen only after the second infusion. It's an effective as a first-line treatment or after other treatments have failed. It works in chronic, stable patients and for optic neuropathy. So it works independent of the severity of disease, independent of duration of disease. Thank you for your time.